Well, before we look at God's word and what he has to say for us, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for today that we can come in so freely uh, to worship you. We thank you for your Bible and we can still read it today. Help us as we do so, uh, to do so with humble hearts and open minds. Help us to do it uh, in fellowship with each other in a way that glorifies you. Amen. Amen. I want to start by telling you about my dad. Uh, He's a funny guy. Most of the time he doesn't mean to be. Uh, You see, when he says things, a lot of the time what he's trying to say doesn't actually come out of his mouth the same way. He's uh, very misunderstood at times. I'll give you an example. My little sister in her early 20s was going through a rough patch and uh, she put on a bit of weight. And one day uh, she was going out with her friends and she got all dressed up, but she was a bit concerned that uh, her pants weren't very flattering. They, uh, They showed how big she's gotten. So she went out and asked mum, do these pants make me look fat? And as a good mum always does, she said no. She asked the rest of us, no, no, they look fine, she, it's fine. And then uh, she declared, fine, I'll go ask dad, he'll tell me the truth. <laughs> now dad with all his faults, he's smarter than your average idiot. Uh, and by this stage in his life, he's had daughters for over 25 years. So when she went and said, do these pants make me look fat? He knew the right answer. So he looked at her and lovingly said, not as much as the top does. (laughs) On the surface level, that wasn't very nice. She did change her whole outfit, but if you go underneath and look back through what he said, you can see he was assuring her that her pants weren't that bad to go out in. (laughs) Now, I don't know if you've had uh, experiences like being misunderstood, what you've been uh, saying. Uh, It's happened to me once or twice. Molly, uh, I think it was last night, said I've inherited his way of complimenting. This can be seen uh, a couple of weeks ago after 10 a.m. music practice. We were talking about wisdom, uh, a few people, and Alison was there. She's cackered up already. And I thought, this is my chance to compliment the boss's wife, get in the good books. So talking about wisdom, I looked straight at her, and with the same loving voice that my father uses, I said, Alison, you don't have one side of wisdom. (laughs) Now... Admittedly, that uh, sounds more like an insult than a compliment, but I tried my best. You see, uh, wisdom in the Bible shows itself in three different ways. Grey hair, wrinkles, and a big belly. And so really, if you think about what I said, and what I was thinking in my head, was (laughs) Alison is youthful and trim. It was just a little bit misunderstood. Now, I'm not sure if you've read through Obadiah before. Uh, the first time I read through Obadiah was last year at chapel, at uh, college. Uh, it's probably the first time I heard of Obadiah, if we're completely honest. And as I walked up, I didn't want to lose my page. I was scared I'd never find it again. But as we read it, uh, there's a lot of destruction. There's a lot of punishment, which is quite normal, actually, for the Old Testament prophecies. But the thing is, there's no flip side There's no forgiveness, no salvation. Not for the people it's addressed to anyway. See, this is addressed to Edom. And the message is that Edom will completely be destroyed. They'll be wiped out. No chance of salvation. No chance of forgiveness. But don't misunderstand what Obadiah is saying. Because Obadiah is not a prophecy of God's anger. It's not about his judgment or punishment. Obadiah is all about the hope and assurance that we have in God. All right, so let's get to the text and see what it's all about. And this starts a little bit different from every other 
uh, prophecy because it says, this is the vision of Obadiah. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to Edom. Uh, now, Edom, as we've already seen, isn't part of Israel. Uh, Steve showed us that. He, they came from Esau, uh, who was Jacob's brother, Jacob and Esau, Isaac's twin boys. They were uh, also the eastern neighbours of Israel. And when they were young, they had a bit of a sibling rivalry going on. You know, uh, Jacob tricked Esau into giving up his inheritance. And then, frightened for his life, Jacob fled the country. And when the nation of Israel came out of slavery in Egypt, they had to go through uh, many different countries and nations to try and get to the Promised Land. And Edom was one of them. They being family members, uh, descendants from the same father, you'd think that they'd happily let them through. But they didn't. They said, no way, you ain't coming through here. And then when the big nations of Assyria and Babylon came through to destroy Israel, I mean, what would you expect Eden to do? What would you expect your family to do? To stand beside you? To stand with you? Fight for you? Well, that's not what Eden did. Instead, they stood behind these power nations. Uh, just like the little guy stands behind the big bad guy and just repeats whatever's already said. And when the victim's down and out, he runs up and kicks the guy just so he can say he's part of him. See, that's what Edom was. Edom was the little guy. Uh, I'm sure we've all experienced some sort of uh, family dispute, uh, sibling, sibling rivalry. I know uh, I had two sisters, uh, and so growing up, we didn't always see eye to eye, and as I got older, I've come to realise it's because they were always wrong. <laughs> um, there's no need to clarify that if you just want. I'll just... Um, but having sisters, the art of warfare or the art of sibling rivalry didn't quite, uh, wasn't that easy. So you can't punch girls. And it's not really uh, good to light their pants on fire either. So I had to come up with different ways to get back at them. Uh, my favourites were uh, the fart pillow. It's when you squeeze all the air out of the pillow and then you fart on it and let the pillow suck it, suck it up. It smells for like two days. It's great. Uh, the other one is called the sweet bed, when you take a handful of sugar and lift up their bed sheets and throw it over the fitted mattress, because no matter how much you sweep up the sugar or vacuum it up, you're not going to get it all. It just feels like you're sleeping on sand. The only way to get rid of it is to change your sheets. Now, despite uh, our differences, our misunderstandings, my sisters, they're still my family. You know, there's always forgiveness. We, there's always, uh, we forget what's happened. And we're always there for each other when we need them. Uh, and I'm sure Lola isn't going to uh, have a dispute with their cousins because my sisters didn't understand what I was saying. They're probably going to be too busy talking about what their grandfather was trying to say when he was in insulting them. <laughs> but Edom, they never showed forgiveness. They never showed remorse. They continually fought Israel and persecuted God's people. So God sent them a message. He sent them this message. Have a look at verse 2. God says to Edom, See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. This message, quite clear. Not much to explain. God is going to bring Edom to their knees. The strange thing is, Edom doesn't care one bit. If we look, continue looking in verse 3, we see, The pride of your hearts have deceived you. You who live in the cleft of the rocks and make your home in the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? 
So Edom was a small nation, even in comparison to Israel. And they had a small army. And yet, they thought to themselves that they were untouchable. No one could get to them. And for a long time, this was true. Because Edom, where they were located, they were surrounded by these huge mountains and these dangerous uh, cliffs. And that protected them. It gave them a natural fortress. So we've all seen the movie 300. 300 Spartan soldiers march out to war against hundreds of thousands of Persians. Uh, And except for uh, being uh, tricked or they would have beaten them. Because what they did was they pushed them through this narrow passing in the mountain ranges and slaughtered all the Persians. Now, because of their natural fortress, that's what Edom did. They only needed a small amount of people to defend because they would pass through a narrow space in the mountain ranges and slaughter them. But the thing is, Edom's never come up against God before. And I'm sure there are people in our lives today that have pride the same as Edom think that they're able to protect themselves from anything that comes their way. And the biggest one of that is money. People think that they have enough money to protect themselves, enough money to get out of any trouble. Uh, We see that at large scales with police corruption or people paying their way out of a court system or paying off victims. But we see that uh, walking around the street as well. People thinking they have enough money, just flashing hundreds around. I thought I was going to bring a hundred, but then I couldn't find one. Um... People think that they can pay their way out of anything. Some people think it's their possessions. I've got a house. I've made it my home. No matter what happens in life, no matter what happens during the day, I can go home to my safety where I will be safe. For other people, it's their abilities. It's what they can do. They believe that will keep them safe. There's nothing they can't do, no problem they can't fix, no obstacle they can't overcome. And as God said to Edom, their pride will be their downfall. So God can't be paid off. There's no chance of heading home when you face your maker. And no matter how good you are at anything, you can't get yourself out of the problem of sin. And as for Edom's pride, resting in the security of the mountains, surrounding them, God says to them in verse 4, Though you soar like eagles and your nest and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down. Now have you ever had someone, maybe a group of people, uh, that was mean to you? People that put you down, lied to you? Someone that you couldn't touch. For some reason they were out of your reach and there was nothing you could do to wipe that smirk off their face and make them stop doing whatever they were doing to you. You know, it may have been someone back in your school days, a teacher, a fellow student. It may have been uh, one of your parents or your boss. It might have been another family member. I want you to have that person in your mind. Picture them doing something cruel to you. Something that means there's nothing you can do to them. You can't touch them. How do you feel? Angry? Upset? A little bit pissed off? And now you feel a hand on your shoulder and a voice, a voice of God. And he says to you, I've got this. How do you feel now? Relief? 
the weight's just been lifted off you, you feel joyful and you're hopeful. You know, the future is going to be good because God has this. God is on your side. You see, that's what God does for his chosen people. He takes care of their problems. For Israel, it was Edom. And God promised to destroy them completely. To illustrate the point, God uh, uses robbers. Now, I've never had my house robbed, but if I ever did, uh, I'm sure they wouldn't take everything. I don't think they'd take the dirty laundry. I'm quite sure they're smart enough not to take the bed I was sleeping on. And I hope they take the rubbish, but I don't think they'll take that either. (laughs) But God, unlike the robbers, will leave nothing behind. He'll take your laundry, he'll take your rubbish, he'll take the lot. It's as if you went to bed in your pyjamas with a house full of uh, furniture and when you woke up, you were naked on the floor. Nothing left. See, God will destroy everything that the Edomites have and there is nothing that can escape them. Not the wise men of Eden, nor their warriors, nor the ones who run to the mountains to hide. See, God will find them, God will destroy them for what they've done to his people. Now, it's not a great message for the people of Edom, but a a joyful word for those who belong to God, the Israelites. God will defeat their enemies. And how good would it feel knowing that God is on your side and will take down those who have mistreated you so much? Well, as Christians, we know that feeling of joy, don't we? Because God has taken down our biggest enemy, Satan. He's the reason that evil's come into this world. He is the one who whispers in our ears, who plays on our desires. He's the reason for injustice. It's, he's the reason why good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. The message that is sent out to Edom is also a warning for all nations, but it's also a warning for Satan himself. God says to Edom, I will bring you down. And he also says to Satan, I will bring you down. We've seen the beginning of this in Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. And we're going to see the end of this when he comes back with a new heaven and a new earth. You see, Satan, he continually brings us down. More than that, he tears us down, really. He turns us against each other. He plays on our desires. And there is nothing we can do about it. We can't touch him. But feel that hand on your shoulder again. Hear that voice for heaven. I've got this. Do you see what I mean by the misunderstanding of Obadiah? A prophecy mostly about destruction. It's really about hope and comfort. Now these next six verses, 10 to 16, I'm going to skim over them because we've kind of looked at a few of them, things already. But these are the charges that God brings against Edom, the things that he's done. You see, Edom stood there and watched Israel get attacked. As their enemies entered the gates, they were part of their raid. Edom rejoiced and boasted and gloated in the destruction of Israel. They even set up a roadblock to catch those trying to escape. When they caught them, they brought them back to Babylon. Edom deserved destruction. Just as Satan deserves his Just as those who stand against God's people 
just as those who stand against us today. They will get what they deserved. There will come a time when they need to give an account for their actions. We have to take comfort in the fact and keep reminding ourselves of it. When we get belittled for being a Christian, just feel that hand on your shoulder and hear that voice. I've got this. Even greater than that, if you look at verse 17, but on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy and Jacob will possess its inheritance. Not only will God destroy Israel's enemies, but he's going to make sure that his people stand victorious in the day of the Lord. There's going to be hard times in life that really get us down. We heard on the weekend away that uh, there are many times of trials and testings, and they're just to make us mature in Christ. And we're told to find joy in them. But I also want you to know, I want you to see from the book of Obadiah that while people and the devil may be kicking us in the gut while we're down, God is on our side. Take comfort in the fact that he will destroy our enemies. There is nothing that can keep them safe. There is nowhere that they can hide. So see the hope that we will be holy and be delivered to heaven. And I know this because of the final verse, the final sentence in Obadiah. And the kingdom will be the Lord's. Let me finish with words of encouragement from Romans uh, 8. I'm going to start at verse 31. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can stand against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? If it is God who justifies, who then is it that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angel nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither heights nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.